0: Hello friends. This is Jess from the Keto Fit and today we're going to be talking all about how to beat sugar cravings. Do you feel like you struggle with sugar cravings? Do you feel like you struggle with impulsive eating? Do you feel like you're soothing yourself with stress? Um, Do you feel like you're soothing yourself because you're stressed out? You're using food to self-soothe. Do you feel like you're so successful in every other area of your life except for weight loss. And it just doesn't make any sense. If you're feeling frustrated with any of these things, um, you're gonna really enjoy today's special guest. She is a sugar cravings coach. Her name is Charmaine from Sugar Free Self Care. And we have done a couple of collaborations together so far. Um, I really respect her as a coach. And um, she's also not only um, a nutrition coach, but she's also a certified life coach. So she and I have that in common as well. And I think that that's something that is pretty cool cause you don't see that in the nutrition space a whole lot. Um, of course, very valuably, you see a ton of nutritionists and um, dietitians or people who have like a medical background of some sort and that is so powerful and so needed. Um, but personally, I decided to approach it from a life coaching aspect, and also to get some nutrition training. But man, there's so much holistic, and it overlaps so much with the rest of our lives. Um, this journey of weight loss. So that's one thing that I really appreciate about Charmaine too is her background is in life coaching, as well as being a nutrition educator and a nutrition coach. And she's going to be joining us here in just a minute. She'll be joining our live. So I wanted to say thank you all for jumping in. I know we have some people joining. And as you're tuning in today, if you have any questions as you're here on Instagram live with us, just make sure that you go ahead and put those questions in the feed. And as I'm interviewing Charmaine today, I will see your questions and I will make sure to pose them to her. So she- us, And she should be joining us here live in just a second.
1: Oh my face. Hey. hey, girl.
0: So excited hey. to have you today. Hey, um, I was just introducing everybody to you a little bit, but I would love to have you introduce yourself as well. And just mentioning how we've done a couple of collabs together in the past. We both really um, jive in terms of having like a life coaching background as well as we're trying to help people. Weight loss is really about so much. It bleeds into every area of your life and every other area of your life really affects the journey with food and nutrition and weight loss. And also, I just love that you approach things from a self care perspective as well. I love that you're you know, your Instagram name is sugar free self care. If you guys are not following her yet, make sure that you go ahead and do that. So yeah, Charmaine, thank you so much for being here today. Um, I was introducing you as a sugar cravings coach, which is such a fun name. And I would love to hear um, what's your background story? How did you get into the low carb sugar free space? How did it change your life? How did you decide to become a coach? Tell us all the
1: things. Oh, nice. Well, thank you so much for having me. I always love meeting other coaches who are also having that live coaching background, so that's awesome. Um, so I am a sugar cravings coach. I completely made up that niche, by the way. Like I didn't <laughs> even know it existed at the time, but um I was actually a registered nurse for eight years at UCLA before I went into coaching. And the reason why I went into this low-carb keto space, which I never thought I would because I was like, a carbaholic. I loved all the carbs. Like I love cereal, yogurt, all the things, pizza. Um, but but then what I realized when I was working as a nurse was that I was doing a lot of stress eating and emotional eating. And, and that's really why I, I, I really get along with you so well, because you also talk about those things that we don't really talk about, like the emotional eating and stuff. But um, I realized at work that the way I coped with the stress as a nurse um, in psychiatry and dealing with all the things going on, like working with patients with dementia and depression, bipolar, all these things. Um, the only way I knew how to cope was with food, and it was with cookies, particularly, in the staff break room. And um, and it got to the point that I ate so much sugar that I became pre-diabetic at age 27. And I was like, even though I was a personal trainer, like I was a personal trainer, I had all the muscles, and yet still I could not out out-train a bad diet, so... Um, so I had to, so then I, I really wanted to go into eating sugar-free and that's how my journey started. And, and then that was in 2018 and here I am now. I'm like a keto health coach.
0: Yeah. And a
1: health coach. Mm-hmm.
0: Wow. That is so cool. So, you know, a lot of times when people get a diagnosis of like diabetes or pre-diabetes, it really scares the crap out of them. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, you're yeah, you. a nurse. Yeah. Yes. So the doctor who gave you this diagnosis, did this doctor advise you to change your nutrition or were they pointing you towards medications or what?
1: Oh my God. You know what the doctor said? (laughs) So as a nurse, I work with doctors all the time and in the medical field, things aren't really an emergency if you're not like dying. So my, my hemoglobin A1c, just for anyone who doesn't know, like everyone should get tested on this every single year, but it's a blood it's a lab test where you could check um the average amount of blood sugar you've had for the past three months and so mine level was 5.9 it's different in different countries but mine was 5.9 here in america and that's pre-diabetic and when my doctor saw that he was like oh that's not too bad like wow. okay you know that's okay and like like diabetic is like past 6.7 but to me being pre-diabetic, that was, like, freaking me out, because it's, it's in my family and everything, so he was just so nonchalant about it, and I was like, are you freaking kidding me? Oh, like, no. he just, like, didn't, he was like, oh, it's not an emergency. I'm like, what? I'm pre-diabetic, come on. Wow. He did didn't suggest he, anything. <laughs> did he
0: use the word pre-diabetic, or did you just happen to know that as a nurse?
1: No, I just knew it, because I knew what the ranges were. Mm-hmm. He's just like, oh, you're not diabetic, like, I, he, he might've said you're in the pre-diabetic range, but he's just like, Oh, but it's nothing to worry about. He's wow. just like, are you kidding me? It's like oh, yes. I take patients with diabetes and they have no feet and wow. they have like, you know, they're blind and I, I don't want to be that. So. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So how did you um, have the knowledge or um, the, the drive to change your nutrition in order to change this?
1: Oh, so it was just coincidental. So it was November 2017 that I had that lab results. And then in around December to January of of the new year, like 2018, um, my friend was doing keto because she just wanted to lose weight. And she it was just like a New Year's challenge. She just told me and my other friends like, hey, I'm doing keto. I did it once before. I lost a lot of weight. I want to do it again in January. Like, let's try this. And I'm like, oh, this is like a sugar-free thing. I never knew what it was, so I was just like, oh, let me try it. And then I realized how life-changing it was from that challenge. And then it's was funny. I was, like, the only one who continued it after that, after January. But it, like, changed my life. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, me too. I mean, I know we share that in common. So in being a sugar cravings coach, so how do you know when you're having a sugar craving? Um, is it physical? Is it emotional? Because I know you mentioned, like, you were, like, self-soothing stress. At work, but then also sometimes we get physical cravings for for sugar, so how can mm-hmm. you tell the difference? Does it matter if there's a difference and how you approach it like how do you how do you beat that
1: right like it's it's kind of tricky because in the beginning um, there really is there's both like there is a physiological craving for sugar and an emotional craving um, most what most people talk about when it comes to sugar cravings, I feel like it 's more physiological like because it is you do have um, You have physical changes going on in your body when you eat more sugar and carbs rather than um, protein and fat. So like when you eat more sugar and carbs, your body uses that energy that you're eating, like the sugar and carbs for energy. And so if you're dependent on sugar and carbs for energy, you have to keep eating that. So you keep going up in blood sugar spikes and dips. And when you have a dip, that's what everyone labels as the hangriness like they feel irritable they want to hurt somebody unless it's time to you know unless they have food um so that's what I would say is a physiological craving it's really hard to tell the difference if it's emotional if you don't have that um physiological craving um basically stabilized yet yeah so I always tell my clients like my, my my program's like three months the first month is all about just eating like low carb um whole foods and decreasing your sugar and carb intake. And then when your hunger hormones are more stable and you're not having so much blood sugar spikes and dips, like your blood sugar is more stable, then you could do more emotional work. So in month two, we start talking about like, okay, are you eating when you're bored? Are you eating when you're not hungry? Like all of that's like emotional eating. If you're eating for any reason where you're not, your body doesn't need food, like you're eating in front of the TV, you're eating when you're working, I consider that emotional eating. Um, which I know we talked about before, um, and then then we could start doing that work. But it's really hard to do both at the same time because if you're feeling a blood sugar dip, and you have no energy, right. you can't even you don't even know what you're feeling. You're just like you have no energy.
0: It's true. It's true. And a lot of times, you know, you get kind of like an emotional benefit, even even if you are having a physiological craving. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you're having a hard day, and you're feeling hangry, right? So it's probably right. both. Like you're getting. Um, you're getting the physical craving and an emotional craving. So you get like the emotional kickback of like temporarily feeling better. So why, when we want to emotionally eat, so like even after you went keto, um, you know, and I've, I've shared this as well. Like I still struggled with emotional eating. Why do we crave sugar instead of like steak when we're,
1: <laughs> when we want to emotionally eat? Oh man, it's funny. Well, cause, just cause sugar, it's just, it it really this is why I teach in my work. It's it will activate the reward centers in your brain. It's it basically creates like I like to think about it as concentrated pleasure. Like different foods you eat um, will help to basically re- release dopamine in more artificial amounts. Especially something like I like to think about it, if it's a food that's man made. Like chocolate isn't growing on trees. Not. I mean, I know there's cocoa beans, but it's not like the Snickers bar is not growing on a treat. Like, right. we made that <laughs> in a factory or whatever, and it it's full of all this added sugar that's concentrated. And it's, it's like, I call it an artificial pleasure. So when you're eating these sort of artificial pleasures, like these foods that are designed to literally make your reward center in your brain, like, light up and really crave that food, it's going to make you want that food even more so it literally like hijacks the pleasure sensors in your brain real food on the other hand like steak which i love but steak and eggs and avocados like they don't deliver such a high dopamine spike like dopamine's that pleasure chemical you get when you eat those foods and when you do things like um that help you survive but um you don't get that abnormally high pleasure spike because it it's it was just normally occurring in the world it's not Artificially concentrated in any way so so you have to that's why it's just you're just more likely to go for the thing that will make your brain um, want some sort of pleasure more quickly, which yeah. will will get in chocolate and things like that
0: yeah. Yeah, it can definitely have an addictive nature, like the what it does Mm -hmm. to the brain is not actually natural, like it doesn't exist in nature, like you were saying. And so it was created in a lab, and it was actually created to um, be such a pleasure overload in the brain, that it would make people want to keep buying that product. So people are making money off of this, they know exactly what they're doing, they're pairing together the right ratio of sugar and fat to just make your brain go totally crazy. And of course, you want to your brain is just like, Pleasure, you know, designed to tell you to repeat any pleasurable experience. You know, sometimes right. to our own de- detriment. Like that's why drug addiction is real. You know, all of these things that we find ourselves addicted to. Um, you know, there's that pleasure component that is just literally hijacking our brain. So I love that you use that word because it's it's not actually existent in nature, and it's not necessarily your fault either. Like it's not like a lack of willpower. Totally, something is hijacking your brain.
1: Right. And it's just, um, it's like the concept, uh, it's in this book called the pleasure trap by Dr. Douglas Lyle, but basically he's saying we have three main motivations to survive. It's like you want you are you're constantly as a human species, as an animal species, all animal species are wired to avoid pain, seek pleasure and conserve energy to help them survive. And we, we're, our brain is designed to seek pleasure. And so when these food companies manipulate that desire for pleasure, like not just food, but even with like social media and whatever, when those companies manipulate that brain's wiring for pleasure, that's when they start making money off of you. And so it it really isn't anyone's fault, like you said. It's just how our brain's designed. Um, The only problem is when we have so much food abundantly now in modern society and it's just coming at you, like just everywhere it's available, then of course you want to eat those foods. So it's not your fault. You just have to learn now how to not react to all those impulses to eat all the time.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so here you are as a nurse, a psychiatric nurse, no less, and you know, you're stressed out, you're having a hard day, you want to avoid the pain of how you're feeling in that moment, tired, stressed out, mm-hmm. you want to see pleasure, oh, yeah. boom, there are the cookies, and you want to conserve energy, which means do the easiest thing possible to solve your problem and Ding, there it is you know cookies right in front of you so mm-hmm. when you started eating low carb and avoiding sugar how did you um, make that switch to because previously you were using cookies to solve that issue for you
1: what did you do mm-hmm. instead i just first of all i had to like not eat the cookies like i um i i basically had I, I was first like when i was going keto i just was first in the mindset like i really always told myself when i turned keto like I told myself, I'm I'm a person who doesn't eat sugar and carbs. Like, I had to first identify as this person because if I just made the switch to not eating sugar and carbs when I really do love sugar and carbs, it's going to feel like a willpower. It's going to feel like a tug of war. So I had to first kind of enter into a mindset of, like, I just don't eat sugar and carbs. Just like a vegan doesn't eat meat, like, I was kind of like, like a smoker doesn't smoke. I, I kind of stepped into that mentality. And then the second thing was if I – um, I had to plan ahead what I was going to do. So I planned ahead the food I'm going to eat. So so on the day of, if I'm noticing I want to eat food that's off plan when I'm stressed, that's when I could just be like, first of all, not eat the food and just, just basically allow whatever uncomfortable emotions coming up for me. Um, and this is what's called my – I call this my impulse mastery method. It's like a four-step method that I teach my clients. So first you plan your food. Second, you pledge to the plan, like, you, you commit to what you, you want to eat. Third is you process. You have to process any uncomfortable emotions. And then fourth is persist. Like, you keep going. No matter how many times you fail, you, you keep going and repeating the process. So processing the emotion is the hardest part. It's like you have to learn how to allow yourself to feel the urge without acting on it. And it's, it's kind of like meditation. You, just, you have to learn how to sit with discomfort of the actual feeling without soothing with food. So, um, it just looks like literally just sitting and just like feeling my feeling like, okay, where am I feeling this in my body? Okay. Like it felt like it would feel like the world was falling on my shoulders. Like I felt like I was going to die. Like it feels so strong because that survival mechanism to want to eat is so strong. So I just had to feel that and allow it. And the more you do that over time, the more your neural pathways will dismantle and you won't really have the cravings anymore, but you have to sit but that discomfort, Yeah. which is really uncomfortable.
0: <laughs> yeah, it totally is. And it totally overrides what our brains are naturally set up to do, which is to, you know, conserve energy or like take the easiest pathway possible and like avoid pain, like you were saying. So we kind mm-hmm. of have to override our natural inclination in that moment and use like our higher level, you know, rational brain <laughs> to try to tell our toddler brain, like, no, I'm in charge here. You right. can't just talk whatever you want, whenever you want it. There's a good reason for this. Yeah, but it is it is difficult to do. It's easier with practice, I'm sure, though, right? Just like meditation.
1: Oh, yeah. It is It is basically meditation. It's just kind of like, just for anyone, if you have a craving, just practice not going to the refrigerator. Like, sit in your chair at home and don't go to the fridge, and you're going to feel the feels. You're going to feel like your heart might be pumping. You're going to be like, restless. Like, I felt really restless and edgy. But, but you have to kind of sit with that and just focus on your body, like allowing bodily sensations because that's the thing that causes emotional eating. Like emotional eating is caused when you're disconnected from the sensations in your body. You just keep wanting to avoid the uncomfortable sensations in your body. And so all of us are experts at that. We're, we're so good at wanting to avoid all, you know, pain, avoid sadness, avoid anger. Um, but when you allow yourself to open up to discomfort, you could then be able to make it safe to feel that way. And then you don't have to eat to avoid it. Like the only reason why you're eating emotionally is to avoid all those uncomfortable sensations in your body. But when you just see it's only a sensation and you, and I can sit with it. I'm not going to die. And just like what fat to fit Gabby said, sit with discomfort plus having water around. Yes. Water is amazing. I have a love affair with water, but, but yes, yes you, you could sit with it and then, you can make it safe for you to feel that way without having to avoid or numb it, numb the feeling. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, so when you're talking about like the bodily sensations, like it's reminding me of, you know, I can't remember where I heard this, but basically somebody um, was explaining the difference between an emotion and a feeling. And so, Mm -hmm. um, basically like an emotion really passes through your body within a couple of seconds. Um, you know, anger, fear, sadness, whatever it might be. But then, um, it's because of our thoughts that we mm-hmm. keep that going much longer than it would naturally just stay and so right. so there we have that bodily sensation of stress or um you know we get angry or whatever it might be and then we start telling ourselves a story about it with our thoughts mm-hmm. you had a you had a post on instagram and it was pretty fire i was like oh dang like somebody somebody needs to hear this today preach charmaine because And it's hard for us to, like, actually take radical ownership of this. But you were saying that um, we're not avoiding stress. Like, we're avoiding our stressful thoughts. Like, basically, like, we are creating our own suffering with our thoughts. Can you tell us more about what you mean by that?
1: Right. Oh, my gosh. Yes, it's so true. So I call this, actually, emotional responsibility. Um, So I basically say that stress um, isn't – it, it, it's true, like, we could have an automatic reaction of stress, like, you could feel stress automatically, but the only reason why you have stress is because of the way you're perceiving a situation, like, most of us think that our work or, or things outside of us make us feel stressed, like traffic, your boss being a jerk, and what whatever, your kids yelling, a lot of us think that situations outside of us make us stress, but what I learned was when I was working as a nurse, I was so stressed out, I was overwhelmed, I was doing all the things, but then, Joe Blow over there is taking a break. He's laughing with his friends. And I'm like, why am I stressed when another nurse in the same exact unit as me is chilling, having a great time, getting coffee every single shift. Like I was like, something ain't right. And I realized it's because of how I was perceiving my work. Like I was choosing to think about work. Like, Oh, there's so much to do. I was telling myself the story, like, everything's on me and I always have to do everything like a lot of kind of victim-y sort of thoughts. And, and I had to own that. Like I had to own like, okay, when I think about work, like everyone's putting this on me, of course I feel like crap. So I had to change that. Like I had to start changing my experience of work, by how I think about it. And when I started changing how I think about it, like I started going to work thinking like, okay, how can I show a thing of help to people? Um, is this thought helpful right now? And I just tried to take ownership of my thinking that helped me feel less stressed. Like I helped more, I felt more calm. And then I showed up in a way where I wasn't annoying to my coworkers anymore <laughs> and I wasn't eating as much anymore.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true. I mean, so much of um, what we're trying to self-soothe is not actually the circumstance. It's the story that we're telling ourselves about the circumstance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, This is reminding me of, you know, you shared another pretty cool story, which was that um, recently, I think it was like within the past couple months, like in May, I think your birthday was and you got to like your highest weight that you had seen Mm -hmm. in a while. And, you know, basically, simply by, you said the thing that helped you to actually like lose eight, that eight pounds within the course of a month was not taking your weight gain personally. So Mm -hmm. Tell us more about that. Cause once again, that sounds similar to like the story that you would tell yourself about it was the thing that was really getting
1: in your own way. Right. It's not the weight gain that makes you um, a failure. It's just you thinking you're a failure that makes you act like a failure <laughs> basically. Yeah. Cause like I, I could have easily like my first gut reaction when I saw the scale was like, cause I gained like eight pounds. Uh, I gained, I was like, yeah, 109 pounds. I had never been that weight in my whole life. And then I was like, ah, fuck, I was, (laughs) excuse me. I was just like, oh my God, I was just like, dang, this is the heaviest I've ever weighed. And I'm a weight loss coach. I'm a fraud. Like nobody should ever listen to me. And I was thinking that way. And then that made me feel like bad about myself and doubtful. But then I was like, hold up, hold up a second. Like the only thing that happened is the weight went up on the scale. Like that's it. Like the truth is the weight, just the number on the scale changed. And when I started not making that personal, I was just like, it's like, as if you look at a calculator, like, oh, there's numbers on the calculator, just like, oh, this is a number right now. Okay. And then from there, I just go to, okay, well, what can I do to change that? But, but the only reason why I was suffering about it at first was just because I thought it was a problem. I thought that it meant that I was a failure, but that's not the truth. The only thing that happened was just like, I ate things. And when you eat things, the weight could go up. And, and that's it. Keeping it really factual and not dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> Don't traumatize it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's such a good example. And thank you for sharing, like, vulnerably how you, like, were basically, like, having imposter syndrome. Like, I can't even tell you how many times I have felt <laughs> the same way. Oh. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Remind <laughs> me, where did you do your life coach training?
1: I went to, I was trained at the life coach school.
0: Yeah, with Brooke Castillo. Um, Yeah, what you're talking about right now, I'm like, okay, I can totally see how she's using quote unquote, the model um, in, in figuring that out. So will you tell us a little bit about the model and how we can practice some of this thought work ourselves? Um, Brooke, she, she designed what she simply calls the model and she teaches this to her life coaching students, but it's really about separating out your thoughts and your feelings from your circumstances. So could you tell us a little bit more and maybe how somebody could apply this if they're experiencing "Quote unquote" optional suffering surrounding their weight right now.
1: Right. Well, everybody, listen up. You got to write this down, okay? Take notes because <laughs> yeah. it's going to change your life. It will. If you're not listening, yeah. then you got to watch this, okay? So, um, Brooke teaches something called the model. It's also called the self coaching model. So it's basically a five step framework that can help you gain awareness of just the patterns in your brain that are making you have the habits that you have. So if there's any habit that you don't want, and most likely if you're listening to this, maybe you have some sort of habit around food that you want to change. So just think about some sort of problem in your life that you want to change right now. And I'll just go to an example of eating, like my stress eating, just because I was an emotional eater for so long. So um, let's say there's there's a habit you want to change. So it will just help you see what's the root cause of your habit, like why do you have the habit you have? So the way she explains the reason why you have the habits you have is because, um, first of all, there's a C. She calls it a circumstance. There's a, the five steps. There's like five different categories. Um, I'll do an overview first. So five, the five categories are your circumstances. Um, circumstances create your thoughts, which is T. Then the thoughts create your feelings. Your feelings drive your actions, and your actions create your results. So it's a five-step framework. So circumstances are at the top of the framework. So basically it's just anything outside of you, like anything, any situation you're in, any le- anything in your life that's going on, any factual um, thing that's describing the circumstance you're in. So I'm just going to use the example of um, when I'm at work and uh, what was the situation? Like when I'm at work and say like my patient fell <laughs> or something which should be <laughs> anyway so like let's say my patient fell at work that's the circumstance that that's just the facts of what happened then my thought about it is i have a thought like oh crap <laughs> um, this shouldn't have happened like i think about this shouldn't have happened and then when i think that thought this shouldn't have happened it creates my feeling which is like i feel i feel guilty maybe so i feel guilty and when i feel guilty I take the action of going to the break room and eating cookies to feel better. And then the result of eating the cookies is that I gain weight, basically. Like I overeat, I gain weight, and the problem still isn't resolved. So I'm creating this this whole habit loop just because of a thought I'm having in my mind, just because I thought, oh, this shouldn't have happened. So that's that's the five-step model. So the way that you have your power in that model is like, you could just change your thought. You don't have to, I can't change the fact that the patient fell. Like that's just life. Right. Things happen in life. But I could change my thought about it. So if I shifted that thought to, um, instead of this shouldn't have happened, just like, well, we did the best we could. What's my next step? You could notice that will make you feel probably more um, positive. It'll make you feel more like problem solving or more, open minded so when i'm open minded then i think about okay what am i going to do moving forward and then i probably don't have to eat anything and then i just work on helping the patient and doing my work for the rest of the day so that's the that's the five step model and it could just show you your thoughts really do create your feelings and your actions and your results in your life
0: yeah thank you for explaining that and i i loved learning the model and you know i try to incorporate that with myself too and We can get ourselves into such a loop because, you know, then the model just takes over again. So imagine, okay, so your result of um, the patient falling, basically the circumstance, the patient fell, and then you told yourself the story of this shouldn't have happened and then it spirals spirals. So now you're self-soothing. Then you gain weight. Okay. Now we have a new circumstance. The circumstance is the scale went up three pounds. It's just a fact, but then you tell yourself a story. I'm a fraud Mm -hmm. or I'm a failure or this shouldn't have happened, or whatever. And then it drives the next feeling, which drives the next action, and so on and so forth. And so most of us are just living in this like negative spiral of our own thoughts, and we're living in a prison, basically, of these negative thought loops that we've got ourselves into. So, right. I mean, it sounds so simple to just change your thought, right? Right. Like, <laughs> it sounds so simple, so, don't eat the cookies, just change your thought. like. But what do we do if, like, because we've been thinking these same thoughts forever, and we probably have that, like, inner jerk voice that's just still showing up. Like, what do we do when the thought pops into our head? Because, like, it's going to happen. You've thought it so many times. You've beat yourself up so many times that that thought
1: is going to pop into your
0: head. So what do you do when that happens?
1: You just notice it like so I teach also the thing that I teach in conjunction with the model which is so helpful is really teaching mindfulness like you also have to be able to know that when thoughts come up in your mind it it's not personal like it's just an automatic reaction from triggers and so when you're able to really see like thoughts are just thoughts like which obviously is a lot harder than me to say oh yeah I thought a thought like you have to, like, I I teach all my clients, like, it's really important to have some sort of mindfulness or meditation practice to really just help you see, like, to just help you see that when a thought comes up, it goes away. Like, thoughts come and thoughts go. Emotions come and emotions go. It's our reactivity to the thoughts that make us have those negative reactions and those negative emotions that cause us to show up in a way we don't want. So, I also teach my clients, like, Don't react to every single thought you have. Like, I I also say the saying that I heard, like, the first thought is the worst thought. Like, just because it's a thought that comes up doesn't mean you have to, like, follow through with it. Like, just notice it comes up in your mind. Gain awareness. It is a thought. And then from that place, you could decide, okay, I know this thought's coming up. Do I want to continue? Do I want to react to it? Like, do I want to be mad about this? Do I want to be stressed about this right now? Or will I choose to courageously think something different and interrupt this pattern by thinking a different thought. Like I could choose right now to be all mad about the patient falling and being mad at my coworkers and thinking that this shouldn't have happened. I could choose that, which I've done so many times without realizing it, but then I know it doesn't serve me. So in that moment, it's like, no, I'm going to choose to, you know, accept that this happened, accept that I couldn't change it, and just move forward from there. And, and that's, the, that's the skill. It's like a muscle you have to, to work, to think yeah. differently.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Isn't it interesting how like, it's almost like there's two people in our heads. It's like the one that's having like the automatic thoughts and then mm-hmm. you are like also the observer of your thoughts. And so, right. and so um, you know, a lot of people would explain this as like your ego versus your mm-hmm. highest self. Or right. you know, some, some more spiritual people or uh, people who maybe like grew up in like a Ju- Judeo-Christian type of worldview would say like the spirit versus the flesh or whatever. But like we always kind of have this dualistic nature inside of us. There's like the, per- the one that is like kind of self-sabotaging us. And then there's like the higher self. So I'm hearing you say basically like your higher self started mm-hmm. to notice like, oh, I'm having the thought that you know, and just kind of becoming the observer of your thoughts and separating yourself from your thoughts, and not necessarily believing every single thought that pops into your head, like, not all of our thoughts are true, we don't actually have to believe them all to be true. Um, And sometimes even switching language from like, true or false, like, is this thought true or not, because it can feel really true. But instead to say, like, is this helpful or harmful can be Mm -hmm. um, a good, a good way to separate it out. So like, okay, I really identified with what you said about like, you were like taking the weight of the world on your shoulders as this amazing perfectionist nurse. You're running all around. Nobody else is doing what they're supposed to be <laughs> guess, doing. Yeah. Everybody else is a jerk except for you. And there's yeah. no blow over there, you know, just living it up like that. So would be well. nice,
1: right? like, <laughs> God, what's so, he doing taking a break? Uh-huh. Who
0: he, right. Who does he think he is enjoying life? <laughs> like, <laughs> what so, a jerk. Yeah, I really, really identify with that. So like, how did you get to the place? Where you were like, okay, I can see that me practicing this judgment, like being critical of Joe Blow, really I'm actually jealous, I'm resentful, and I could have what he's having. Like, how did you get to that place where instead of having a judgmental thought about your coworker enjoying life, that you mm-hmm. actually um decided that you were going to enjoy life? Like, did how did you rewire that? Did you like practice affirmations every day or Did you kind of just have, like, a pivotal epiphany one day and everything changed? Like, how
1: did you do that? Well, the biggest thing for a perfectionist and a high achiever and go-getter, which is a lot of women that I know, and my clients are like this too, and that was me. Like, I I call myself a recovering perfectionist. I still have perfectionist tendencies. But the biggest thing that perfectionists resent is accepting the situation as it is, accepting reality. And the way that I could go to, like, actually loving my coworkers, which made me want to hurl at the time. Like, I I don't want to love anybody. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? I couldn't go to love, but I could go to acceptance. Like first of all, just accepting that that's just what they're doing in this moment. Like accepting all the moments where like uh, if I saw like my coworker going on their cell phone when they're around their pa- the patients, like instead of judging, I'd just go like, okay, this is just what they're doing right now. Like I'm, I, like, the facts are they're just on the phone, like, and I'm putting my own judgments in there. Let me just, like, know, okay, what's the facts first? Like, the facts are this is what they're doing. I can accept that. And then from there, from a place of acceptance, then I could, like, not judge them and then just think moving forward, um, do I want to approach them about it or do I not? Like, is this really worth my time or, or not, you know? So I can make a more rational choice rather than reacting right away. Um, so I had to go really into acceptance, um, because the main cause of suffering for anybody is when you're rejecting the reality of what's actually happening. And that's always what happened for me. Like, like people would react in ways that I did not want them to react. And I would only be mad because I thought they should not talk to me a certain way. But when I tried to fight the reality of that, I'm just making myself more mad (laughs) So it's not useful. So I just have to be like accepting and like, okay, this is just how they're talking right now. And I'm not going to let this determine how I feel. Like I'm going to take ownership of my feelings right now. I'm going to hold space for them too. like hold space that they're upset, hold space for myself that I'm upset and meet them there. And, and, and then I could connect to people easier because, because it helped me not judge it. It just helped me see okay, they're just experiencing this and how can I just try to under, then I was able to go more to compassion. Like, okay, how can I just understand where they're coming from? Like, why would they be doing this right now? Why would they be on their phone? Maybe they're tired. They worked an extra four hours. They're on their 16-hour shift. They just want to relax. So I had to, I could go to compassion from there, but first I had to go to like a more neutral, like acceptance of what they're doing
0: yeah. without trying to fix them <laughs> right away. Oh gosh, yeah. <laughs> And I really resonate with that whole recovering perfectionist thing as well. And like, so you did this, you did this post recently, basically, it was about like accepting things as they are. But another post you did was talking about how, why are all these like, driven, high achieving, totally successful women, like they're knocking it out of the park and absolutely everything else. And they're like, well, why can't I just apply this to my weight? Like, this seems to be like the one area that I'm just struggling so bad with. And it doesn't make any freaking sense. Like, and so mm-hmm. I, have, I have totally felt that way. And I've worked with a lot of women who felt that way. And so, yeah, it's because of our limiting beliefs around this particular area. One thing that you attributed it to, and I was like, oh, that's really interesting, was perfectionism. So mm-hmm. can you explain the connection there? How is perfectionism which is common in a lot of high achievers. How is that Mm -hmm. holding these women back from like, how is that actually causing them to self-sabotage in their weight loss?
1: Right. Like, well, with perfectionism, a lot of the women I work with just is me. And (laughs) just like, it sounds like you're resonating with this too, but, um, a lot of our drive comes from external validation. Like it comes from wanting, some sort of acknowledgement outside of ourselves. Like we're always wanting praise. We're always wanting um, validation of some sort that's outside of us. Um, So with, when it comes to weight loss, it's kind of like we always want to, I feel like when, when it's kind of like this black or white thinking, it's kind of like, or all or nothing thinking, especially with perfectionists, it's kind of like they think, the only way I could get approval is if I do something 100%. Like if I do anything less than that, I'm not going to be worthy, or I'm not going to um, have the approval of, say, like my my caregiver. Like it could go even back then to like childhood, because I know for me, my parents um, were never approving. Like they had a lot of high standards of, like, oh, it's not good enough unless you're an A. You have an A. So when you have that kind of all or nothing mindset going into weight loss, I see this with my clients too. Like they put so much pressure on themselves to be doing everything so perfectly that if they make a mistake, it's like a life or death situation. like a mistake means that they have failed. They're rejected um, from their, it's like a kind of a visceral rejection from like their parents and, uh, you know, and rejection of themselves. So it will make them want to give up. Like it'll just make them, stop because they think they're supposed to do it perfectly. So it's it, it, like, I definitely can see where it's coming from, but it's just the pattern that could lead to so much self-sabotage with weight loss. Cause if you think it's supposed to be perfect, the thing about weight loss is it's the most imperfect thing ever. Like mm-hmm. you have to do trial and error. You have to see which foods work for you. It's going to take two weeks, four weeks, months to figure out what it is. So it, it can't be perfect. Mm-hmm. So the the way you have to approach weight loss is like you first have to accept that you're a human being. Um, that there's no such thing as perfection. Um, there's no there's not even such thing as a perfect way of eating. Only your body will tell you what it needs. But you can't find that out if you're not willing to fail. Um, so perfectionists are really afraid of failure. They don't want to fail. They don't want to make a mistake. Um, and when they're willing not to fail, they they won't be able they won't be able to correct what's actually going on. So so they have to be comfortable, like kind of what we were talking about with processing uncomfortable emotions. Like you have to learn how to accept and be open to all the discomfort of, you know, maybe gaining weight when you thought you would or what it feels like to make a mistake or like you have to be open to all of it so that you don't react to it and want to just like quit and shut down.
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, I... um really resonate with what you're talking about, about the external validation I'm mm-hmm. a perfectionist. And I think I'd like to add to the, this like idea of like being a perfectionist, like nothing makes me feel happier than when I improve something. Like
1: <laughs> when I, Interesting. I
0: have an ideal <laughs> in my mind of like, that's not good enough, that's not ideal, that's not optimal, I can improve that, right? And so mm-hmm. it might be with myself, it might mean improving, you know, the art on the walls, it could be the environment it needs to be organized, this system needs to be overhauled, this person needs to change, like, what, I, and I could just help them change, if I just point this out to them, I'm sure they're not aware of it, you know, like, so right. everything needs to be improved, yeah. nothing is ever good enough. And it's not necessarily a horrible thing. It, it, it can be if we let it just turn into constant negativity and constant criticism, but it's also a superpower, like, we are the people that improve the world. We are the idealists that are like fighting for social justice and standing up for people that don't have a voice and helping people organize their homes and creating systems to help businesses to be more efficient and so on and so forth. And so this is also part of the superpower of like these highly driven women, right? And so right. when I want to improve my health and I look at weight loss as improvement, like mm-hmm the only way to improve is to see the number on the scale go down. And
1: mm-hmm. then that didn't
0: happen today. So mm-hmm. therefore, today is not an improvement from yesterday, whether it stayed the same or maybe the scale went up. This is not mm-hmm. an improvement. You know, this is horrible. And then you just start telling yourself <laughs> right. all, these, all these stories about it. And then you're looking for a reason. You're looking for an explanation, blaming yourself, whatever it might be. So like for people who are driven to make improvements, how could we shift that and and think a little bit differently? How could we expand beyond just improvement means a lower number on the scale?
1: Right. Well, first of all, I could totally resonate with everything you're saying. Cause I'm the type who never, like I was a person in the, in the hospital. Like I was the president of my unit practice council. I was in leadership. I was in all the committees because I want to change everything. So yes. everything you said resonated with me. I'm just like, Oh, you're preaching to the choir. <laughs> um, so the thing is, the thing with especially perfectionists and people who want to improve things is because they're so results driven and they focus, they put so much importance on the result that the results is the only thing that measures um, your worth. <laughs> that's where mm-hmm. we get into like, if you're using results to measure like outcomes on like, a, like either a behavior or a system, like something outside of you that could be improved. And that's, you know, it's not, there's no emotional attachment there, but when we, personalize an outcome and we make the outcome mean something about our self-worth that's where we get into trouble like if we are like oh the scale hasn't gone down so I'm a failure that's where we get into shame and that's where we want to quit and the black or white thinking kind of comes in so all or nothing thinking so we kind of have to um well let me think of what I was going to say um Oh where was I? Oh, I lost my train of thought.
0: How can we like expand the idea of improvement beyond just seeing oh, right. a lower number on the
1: scale? <laughs> right. Thank you. So you have to define what what your improvement, what success looks like for you. And I I had mm-hmm. to do this recently. I was just kind of like um you you could change the story of what success actually looks like. So mm-hmm. success doesn't only have to be the number on the scale. It could just be like how committed were you to following your protocol that day like um, your, your plan that day, like, were you practicing, um, compassion for yourself if you're emotional eating or were you judging yourself today? Like when you kind of focus more on like the effort you're putting in rather than the actual outcome or result, like as your measure of success, um, that could help to uh, help you, first of all, just like enjoy the process of it, not put so much pressure on the result. And it, it helps it not, not make your happiness so dependent on something outside of you because that that's where you lose your power because if your happiness is always dependent on the result you're never ever going to be happy because it's not always within your control Mm. um so you have to find ways to make yourself happy that's in a way that you know you could control that like like so I, I tell my clients don't don't focus on losing weight, but focus more on, like, how many skills you're gaining. Like, mm. it's not about weight loss, but the skills you're gaining. So, um, are, like, are you able to process your emotions? Like, are you able to just plan ahead every single day? Like, are you, tr- are you committing to your plan? Like, those, I feel like, are way – like, the habit change is way more important than the result because the habits are what actually – shape your um, results over time, like results might not come right right away, but if you change as a person that could ultimately create the results you want over time, but results don't like numbers don't mean anything about the person you are and your character and who you want to be, who you want to become.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's such an empowering way to think about it because like you just said, we really actually don't truly have control over what happens with the scale. And I'm mm-hmm. no, no. listening right now. I was like, no, yes, we do. All we have to do is, you know, blah, 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 blah. Okay, right. You have control over your strategies. You mm-hmm. have control over your behaviors. You have mm-hmm. control over your thoughts. Um, mm-hmm. But you actually don't have control over the scale. You have influence over the scale. Your, mm-hmm. your actions will influence what the scale says. But there will be a lot of days when you step on that scale. And it won't make any friggin' sense. And you'll want to like throw it across the room and cuss at it and you know, all these things, right? And then what you can do, like what you were saying is like, okay, instead of just focusing on whatever the scale says today, like, am I a success or a failure based on this number? No, I'm a success because I stuck with all of my strategies yesterday. I did everything I was supposed to do. And even though I feel incensed right now that I did everything I was supposed to do and it feels so unfair that I didn't get the result that I was looking for, Okay, Mm -hmm. it's just one day when it's been months of following that same strategy and you're still not getting the results that you're looking for. Well, guess what? We can make a pivot. We can change our strategies because maybe these strategies aren't working, but I'm still a success because I did what I said I was going to do.
1: Right, right. Exactly. And it's like in COVID, it's like the businesses that succeeded weren't the ones that, you know, when they just lost money, they're just like, well... I guess we suck, like, we're just going to, like, close our doors. It it was like the businesses that survived were the ones that that were like, okay, let's look at what we're doing. Let's see how we could improve, and let's, like, change our behavior. So they went online, they went virtual, and they weren't so caught up in the money going down, you know? Like, they just strategized differently, and that's the openness you need. Like, you need that open-mindedness to succeed in weight loss. Um, the only problem is when people are discouraged, if, they, if if you're creating those feelings of discouragement because you're thinking you're a failure, you're not going to be open-minded. You're going to be so narrow-focused. You're going to think there's no options. You're going to think there's no solutions. So you're literally limiting your ability to even succeed when you think about yourself in that way. But if you're open and you think, like, okay, how can I focus on the next best decision? Like, what's what's the way I can make this so, like a solution for this, like where can how can I f- solve this? That can make you actually more willing to finding the answers you need, rather than shutting yourself down.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, if we stop being so judgmental and instead be a little bit more curious, that's when we're going to get to the actual answers that will will get us to the results that we want. So- right. Speaking of curiosity, I'm curious because anybody that jumps on over to your page, and again, if you're not feel- following Charmaine yet, make sure that you do follow her at sugarfree.selfcare. Um, so anybody who goes over your page is probably like, wait a second, this girl says that she's sugar-free and here she is like holding an ice cream cone, <laughs> shoving Cheetos into her mouth, right? So it's very, it's very intriguing. I love what you're doing. So tell us, like, do you eat sugar? from time to time? And how come?
1: <laughs> um, so I do sometimes. This <laughs> is my answer. So here's the thing. <laughs> I teach my clients, like, even though I teach my clients, like, how to eat sugar-free um, and how to stop, how to eliminate your sugar and carb cravings, I don't teach them to avoid sugar. Because if you're avoiding sugar, especially out of fear that if you eat it, the weight will go up. It's just, it's just giving out your power away to the food and making your emotional well-being dependent on the food. Like so many people, so many sugar experts will say, oh, just throw away the sugar, don't put it in your kitchen. But that's kind of like giving your power away to that because it's like like saying, oh, if it's there, then I'm going to be tempted and blah, blah, blah. And so I just teach people, you can eat sugar. Like I teach them to eat something called an exception eat. Um, once a week where you could eat it in a way that's planned, that's deliberate, that's intentional, so that you could just prove to yourself that you can have a relationship with sugar that's not out of control. And you could prove that you could enjoy this food without um, feeling like it has control over you. Because that's the biggest thing my clients want. They want control over the food. And you have, in order to have control with the food, you have to have a relationship where you're not afraid of the food. So I teach them how to eat it in a way that's deliberate, it's intentional, and you can actually enjoy it without feeling guilty about it. And then when you're not guilty, then you're not going to go into that shame spiral. So I do say you need to include it, just so you make that relationship with food, and um, and also not feel like food has control over you.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. And I really appreciate you pointing that out. Because, um, you know, a lot of times we feel like sugar controls us, because Mm -hmm. we feel we feel powerless against it. Like, I am, I am unconsciously or going against my highest self doesn't want to be eating sugar as much as I am. And I feel powerless against it. And I just find myself eating sugar when I really don't want to. I feel the craving. I feel like I'm powerless against it. My brain is compelling me. And then I just do it and I beat myself up for it, you know, day after day after day. That was my story. Um, and right. so yet yeah, was sugar controlling me 100%. And then people go to the farther they, they go to the other side of the pendulum. And mm-hmm. they're like, so terrified. <laughs> I was yeah, mm-hmm. they're so terrified of carbs or sugar or whatever it might be. And so guess what? Sugar is still controlling you because mm-hmm. it's still about avoiding, you know, I'm I'm powerless against sugar. That's the same story that you're telling yourself. So the only way to overcome that is to completely avoid it, right? Because I'm wow. powerless against it. So in either way, you're telling yourself the story that I'm powerless against it. And so I think that's what you're really, you know, harping on there is that whether um, whether you're eating sugar every day, or whether you vow that you're never going to eat it again and you completely avoid it, if the story is "I'm powerless mm-hmm. against sugar," then you are. You know, sugar, sugar right. is still controlling your life. Yeah. So, you know, there are some people that that don't eat sugar ever. Um, but is it because it might not be because they feel like they're powerless against it? It might just be right. a conscious choice. Like, no, I actually don't like the way that I feel when I when I eat it. Right. So right. maybe I, I really appreciate that you're holding space because there are people out there who don't want to never eat sugar again. So there's this right. concept, um, Gretchen Rubin created this concept called abstainers versus moderators. And right. I, I'm an abstainer. I'm a person that's like, no, I really don't want to eat sugar. Like it might be like the rarest of exceptions where I actually have some sugar. Um, so I'm an abstainer and that works for me. And it's no, there was a point when I felt like it was because I'm powerless against sugar, but the story mm-hmm. has changed for me mentally. So sugar is not controlling my life because there's, not, there's no longer that belief, right? So it's really about the right. belief, um, but it was once there, it was still that sugar was controlling me. But then there mm-hmm. is this other category of people called moderators and for mm-hmm. them, they'll, they'll actually do a lot better. And I love this word that you created. It's called exception eats. Mm hmm. Yes, I love that because it's such a neutral term. I like to use the word planned deviations with my client. Deviation is just a neutral term. It's not a cheat. It's not a treat. It's just a deviation. I love that you're calling it an exception. E. It's such a nice neutral term. Um, but mm-hmm. you can actually do that. that. Like, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so good because language is important, people. Like the the language that you're using with yourself is sending yourself a message, which is then you know a thought that's creating a feeling that's creating an action that's creating a result and so on and so forth. So if you call it a cheat. Like you might be saying it in a jokey way, but you're still sending your brain the message that like, "Mm, I'm kind of like a devious person or like, I'm kind of like a person that like does the wrong thing sometimes or just whatever. Like you're assigning some type of moral or ethical um, value to your action.
1: Right.
0: We've got a question coming in. Can I still eat pineapple if I'm insulin resistant or pre-diabetic and trying to reverse it? Oh, this is a great question about like, is it okay to have sugar if this is my... Um, actual medical situation. What do you think?
1: Well, I was pre diabetic. <laughs> so I just want to say um, if she's insulin resistant. Okay, so if you're pre diabetic, like eating a piece of fruit every now and then shouldn't spike your sugar too high. Like the only thing I want to say is um, if you are trying to reverse your pre diabetes, you do want to, I would recommend eating more low sugar fruits like berries and strawberries um, majority of the time. And if you do want to make like a higher sugar fruit, like pineapple, like an exception eat, like I would say you could include it maybe in your food plan like once a week. So that's kind of similar to the exception eats that I have. So um, I was able to reverse my prediabetes even if once a week I would eat like a cookie or um, ice cream or something like that. But just because you have to plan the portion size, like only do one serving of the food, don't have a whole meal of it, but just like one serving, plan it a day in advance. And then when you eat it, eat it very deliberately, like enjoy it, taste Mm it, favor it, taste the little flavors in your tongue and just like, "Mm, just enjoy it. And because people get into scarcity when they hoard food and they're like, I can never have this again. So they eat it too much and then they they don't even enjoy it. So they want to keep eating more of it. So, So try also be careful that you're not thinking about it from a place of restriction. Like, Oh, I could only have it once a week. Can like the stories you're talking about right in your head. So just say like, just remember like why you want to do it, like be clear why you're wanting to limit that and make sure it's a reason that you like that. Oh, I'm doing this to reverse my pre-diabetes, not because, you know, I have to do it to be healthy and, the doctor wants me to, like, do it for a reason that feels good to you, plan it once a week, enjoy it, taste it, savor it, and then majority of the time have lower sugar fruits with, like, berries, um, blackberries, are- blackberries are my favorite. Occasionally, like, my joy eats nowadays are, are like, plums, actually, like, <laughs> once a week or so, I'll have, like, a plum, and I'm like, gosh, fruits are really tasty. <laughs> like, oh, I can see why people like fruits, but anyway, that's my yeah. answer. Yeah, that's a, that's a great
0: answer, and I love, That basically, like you're pointing out, plan it ahead of time. Um, Really enjoy it consciously because a lot Mm -hmm. of times when we are eating these foods that are quote unquote off plan, it's like a plan deviation or an exception eat or whatever. We're still treating ourselves the same way that we used to treat ourselves when we would um, eat unconsciously, like when we would be eating something that we would label as a a cheat Um, when we were doing it in a way that like we felt bad about it. And then that, that is kind of just like zoning out in front of the TV, like hold up in your room all by yourself, you know, just like with the sweatpants <laughs> on, just like, uh, you know, like, and like Oh my that's, God, that's not it, the energy that you're eating with. It's still sending a signal to your body. And so I love to tell my clients, you know, give it to yourself. Don't take it for yourself. It's a totally different yeah. energy. You know, and so like, you could be like, this isn't fair. I eat so good the rest of the time, I never get to have anything. And I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do it. I deserve this. And then you take it. Right. Right. And so that's a horrible energy, though. But if you if you give it to yourself, like truly, like imagine that you're going to give a gift to somebody else, what are you going to do? You're going to like research it ahead of time. Like, Oh, what do they like? Like, I'm going to go look up over here and compare these different things. And you're going to buy it well ahead of time. You're going to wrap it up in a pretty box and have a nice presentation. Like, you know, and then you're maybe going to do it in a group of people instead of by yourself. You know, like, these are Mm -hmm. the elements that create an experience of giving something to yourself. Like, have a nice little presentation about it. Favor it, make it a memorable experience, you know, preferably with people that you love over good conversation. And it's a totally different energy.
1: Right. And and I just want to say it helped me doing that once a week, like you said, it made me think a lot more carefully about those kind like if I wanted to eat sugar, I really wanted to eat high quality foods, like not just mm-hmm. any sugar. It couldn't be it couldn't be Snickers, it couldn't be a cheap sugar that's like twenty-five cents. It had to be like a nice food that I actually really enjoyed. And I used it a lot, like when I'd have um, dates, like dinner dates with my boyfriend at the time. We're we're engaged now, but Yay! at the time, thank you. Uh, we would have like dinner dates, and I would only have like a fancy dessert as my exception eat, and really made it enjoyable. And then I really realized when you when you make it enjoyable and you actually taste the food that really actually tastes good, you don't need a whole lot of it to feel good, and you feel really satisfied like, for the whole week, and then you just look forward to the next one, so, so when you make it enjoyable, um, it really helps you, like, be more thoughtful and appreciate the food that you put into your body, and really nourish your body with, like, high quality food, not just, like, cheap stuff, because when it's once a week, you're not, like, oh, I'm not gonna waste, you know, an exception to eat with just, like, a Snickers bar, I want it to be, like, nice food, <laughs> you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, and no judgment to anybody who that really is like the best thing that they can imagine. Like if you if you want to eat your Snickers bar as your exception eat and that's like oh, right. your jam. Maybe you've got like a childhood, you know, like memory of like your grandma gave you a Snickers bar every week or whatever. Like that might be like your truly most joyous experience of eating. Like, but I think what Charmaine is saying is like right. no judgment, sorry. Yeah, yeah. No. If, make it like something that you truly, truly love. You know, don't let it be right. something that's just like, you know, just okay. Like really take the time to think about something that you're truly going to enjoy.
1: Right, right, exactly. Yeah. So no shade to yeah, <laughs> I I didn't love nachos before. <laughs> oh my god. Before my my exception eats would be like in and out, but then over time when you see it when you do it, your taste will change. Like over yeah. time I was like, oh, in and out doesn't taste as good as I thought and oh, ice cream doesn't taste as good. So so nowadays like I, I actually don't drink alcohol. Like I haven't drank alcohol for 3 years because I I'm kind of able to abstain from that just because I choose, I don't like it anymore. Like I used to make alcohol my exception, but now I just didn't like how it feels in my stomach. So now I don't even enjoy it. So it's like, I naturally just don't want it. So then nowadays my joy, uh, exception eats are like plums and, uh, sometimes nuts with sugar. Like sometimes I like pecans or something like a cinnamon glazed pecan or something, but but not, not something like chocolate. It's like too much for me nowadays. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love you contextualizing your journey because it really is a a long journey and we, we do change and evolve over time. So some people might look like at me right now or at you right now and be like, are you freaking kidding with me? Your joy
1: is a plum. (laughs) Everyone (laughs) tells me that all the time.
0: (laughs) And so just remember guys, it used to be (laughs) in and out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> some people might just be so far from this. Like, honestly, yeah, my Joy Eats are like, or my exception eat is like, I'm going to eat an entire quart of strawberries with some like unsweetened nut butter on it. And I'm just going to be like in heaven, right? Yeah. But that yeah, would be so, me. Too. Yeah. <laughs> but so basically, it's okay, though, like wherever you are to start out with just, it's just your mindset that you're thinking about it, be in conscious choice and fully savor it and fully enjoy it. You know, I've worked with clients. Um, who, you know, they want to have like their, um, planned deviation and it's a whole day and, you know, they're just like a busy mom, you know, five kids or whatever. And they want to go to Taco Bell for lunch and they want to have Arby's for dinner and they just want to eat whatever the heck is on that, you know, combo meal or whatever. And that's truly like their joy eat. And what it does is it, you know, helps them to adhere long-term because they're able to look forward to that. And Mm -hmm. they're able to remind themselves, like, the story is just that I can do whatever I want, right? Like I can't have this or this is bad or just whatever, like, whatever it is for you, just remind yourself always, like, I have power and control and agency over my life. Like, I'm not giving my power away to food, whether I'm, you know, eating it unconsciously constantly, or whether I'm avoiding it, because I don't trust myself with it. Like, both, both can be just as disempowering. So to remind yourself, I can do whatever I want, whenever I want to. And today that looks like eating Taco Bell. And then tomorrow I'm just oh. gonna get back to my regularly scheduled program. Well, you're treating yourself with an attitude of self care. And so now that you're treating yourself with an attitude of self care, it sounds like this was your journey. It's been similar to mine as well. Then you realize after you ate the thing that you told yourself you have full permission to do whatever you want whenever you want to. Oh, I really didn't feel so good after I ate that. Right. so was that actually a gift to myself? Mm, I don't think so. I'm going to try something a little bit better next time. And your standards for yourself raise over time as you treat yourself with love and respect for the, through the foods that you put in your body.
1: Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like my first exception eats really were like cookies and, and things that I just don't eat at all anymore. But at the time it was like, Oh, I love these foods. Like I, you know, I, at the time I couldn't imagine myself not eating them And then, and then it started being like things like pasta or whatnot. But nowadays I just really don't eat pasta or whatnot because yeah, over time you'll notice the difference, but, um, but definitely meet yourself where you are. And then, um, and then over time your body will tell you what it wants and doesn't want if you, if you listen to it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like this whole con conversation we're having about how to beat sugar cravings is honestly just to change the story that you're telling yourself surrounding food And what those foods mean and are they good or are they bad or just you know changing the story i love how you shared with us the model you know separating our thoughts and our feelings from our circumstances and that's going to give us different actions and different results um i'm also really curious will you um tell us before we wrap up like your emotional eating quiz like i love that little um thing that you gave us about the four p's about um not emotional eating um what is it impulsive yeah. Impulsive mm-hmm. eating, yeah. So changing mm-hmm. impulsive eating, like you have to plan, um, mm-hmm. plan ahead. You have to pledge to your plan. You have to process the difficult emotions as they come up because that could pot- potentially derail you, and you have to persist. So tell us about your quiz and how people can find out what type of um, impulsive eater they are.
1: Oh yeah, so I'm so excited. So a lot of people aren't aware of the eating habits they have, especially when it ha- comes to cr- sugar cravings and stuff like. A lot of people just don't know when they eat emotionally. So again, just to remind people, I define emotional eating as anytime you eat for any other reason besides fueling your body, um, besides giving your body fuel that it needs for energy. So um, so I made a quiz that could help you see if you actually are doing what I call impulsive eating. So impulsive eating, it's, it's basically the same as emotional eating. It's just anytime you kind of have an urge to eat food and you just eat it. Like you didn't plan for it. It's just kind of like spur of the moment. So it could be anything like stress eating, eating out of boredom, eating even to celebrate yourself, like as a reward. So um, to help you just gain awareness, if you are having any sort of impulsive eating behaviors, um, I categorize like four types of impulsive eaters. um, And you could find out your type by taking my quiz. Um, You could go to sugarfreeselfcare.com forward slash quiz to take it. Or you could go to my profile at sugarfree.selfcare on Instagram, and you could click the link in my bio to get it. But it will be helpful for you to see if you actually are eating foods uh, like impulsively that you're not aware of. And then I'll give you a guide that could show you what to do with your certain type so it can help you maximize that type and learn how to start losing weight once you have awareness of that eating behavior.
0: Yeah, yeah, you guys, this is a fantastic quiz. I did take Charmaine's quiz and I was like, Yeah, I'm an impulse master. You know, I like, nothing sleep. less <laughs> That little seven year old inner child straight A student was like, Oh yeah. But the resources that you provided for it, because she sent me a little guide and I was like, What? And it had like suggestions suggestions for improvement or like things to watch out for I'm like what are you talking about I'm an impulse master but like (laughs) they really they really were great suggestions because she was pointing out exactly the pitfalls of oftentimes being a perfectionist of like you know you might feel feel like you're actually afraid of food like you're you're the food is still controlling you because you're just avoiding it so much or whatever it might be like some of these mindset things it was just full of great resources about that so make sure that you guys go over and take Charmaine's quiz it was really fun really easy to do literally took me one minute And then she sent me a great resource guide. Um, So even if you're an impulse master too, like me, like there's still (laughs) always um, room for improvement and ways to change your thoughts to become, um, you know, a healthier version of yourself and to think about it from more of a self-care perspective. So Charmaine, if people are interested in working with you, um, where can they find you and how can they learn a little bit more about what you do and the services that you offer?
1: Also, oh, you could add me here on Instagram. My Instagram handle is sugarfree_selfcare. Um, you could also go to my website, sugarfree_selfcare.com. You could look at my YouTube videos from there, and I also have some, like, I have a free sugar-free food guide. If you are interested in trying to, like, if you need to balance out your physiological sugar cravings, I give you a free food guide to help you learn what foods to eat, and um, and then yeah, you can learn more about how to work for me with me in my website, sugarfree self care.com.
0: Okay, thank you so much for being with us here today, Charmaine. Um, you're just such an encouragement and a wealth of knowledge. And I love that you are just reminding people, um, you know, don't give away your power, you know, like, mm-hmm. that's, that's really what it's all about. And you can change your thoughts, you can change your life by changing your thoughts. And you know, food is not something that we have to be afraid of. Even sugar is not something that is like the devil.
1: It's my friend. Sugar's like my friend. <laughs> we're cool. Yeah, we,
0: right, right. You you guys are okay. You have a healthy relationship now. You know, like it took some it took some time. It took some couples therapy, but you guys made it, you oh, know? Right. <laughs> right. Some years of couples therapy, but we're <laughs> like, you know. yes okay well thank you so much again and I hope um that you have a fantastic rest of your week and for everybody tuning in again make sure that you go follow Charmaine check her out and hope you guys have a great week as well take care thank you so much for having me bye guys (laughs) bye